Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. Imagine you're going to eat at your favorite restaurant. So, Ben, what restaurant is that? Ooh, uh, on Provo Main Street, Station 22. So you're going to eat at Station 22, Provo, Maine. You're excited. You're so excited that you even skipped the meal before to make sure you were extra hungry so that it tasted extra good. You order your favorite chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffles from Station 22 and start chowing down. Recently, you've been feeling tightness in the right side of your stomach, gut area, sometimes pain. But after you finish this most delicious meal, the tightness starts to turn to pain and move towards your right shoulder blade in the back. The pain gets worse until you feel nauseous, and on your way home, you throw up. Sorry, Ben. No one likes throwing up chicken and waffles. Yeah, that's no good. You head to the doctor the next day, and you found out you need to get your gallbladder removed. So you schedule a surgery time for the next week, and the operation goes smoothly. After the surgery, you recover for about a week in a small hospital room and then head home. A few years later, you're notified that information from your surgery was actually used in a study. But don't worry, it's not the knee placebo fake meniscus tear. (laughs) Your gallbladder was actually removed. (laughs) No, it was not that. But the researcher tells you you might have recovered faster, used less painkillers, and had less post-operative complications if you had been put in a different room than the one you were in. How could that be, you wonder? Was the room you were in cursed? Did it have bad juju? What was wrong with it? What could you know, make a difference in these rooms? And the interesting thing is that the difference in recovery time, painkiller use, and post-operative complications was only if the window in the room faced a brick wall or a nice deciduous tree. Wow. Yeah, so that was the only difference. That's from a study that was done a long, long time ago. But yeah, they looked at the difference in recovery time between patients. And the only difference between these two groups was if the window faced a brick wall or a deciduous tree. So with that study, that got me thinking about, you know, what is the role of nature and being outside in our life? And so I've been looking into the research a little bit and me and Ben found some articles that we thought were interesting and that we want to talk about today that actually discuss the benefits and significance of being outside and outside time. Yeah, so this first paper we're going to be talking about is called Spending at least 20 minutes a week in nature is associated with good health and well-being. This is by White, Alcock, Wheeler, Hartig, Warber, and Fleming, published in 2019 in Scientific Reports. So the title gives it away a little bit, but the researchers wanted to better understand how spending time outdoors affects your health and well-being. And spoiled a little bit of the results as well, but we're going to go through it. So researchers used a representative sample of England. Once again, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes where we talk about representative samples, that means that they can generalize it to the whole country. So the demographics that exist in England also existed in the same proportions in this study. So their sample included 19,806 participants. They asked participants how much time they spent in nature in the last seven days. They asked them their self-reported health and also their subjective well-being. The results showed that good health and well-being were significantly higher in those individuals who spent more than 120 minutes in nature than those who spent zero minutes in nature. So for the unadjusted model, all nature contact was significantly related to higher life satisfaction and self-reported health. The adjusted model showed that 120 minutes per week was significantly related to higher life satisfaction and health. 
It is also important to note that spending time in nature had the same magnitude of effect as being in a high SES, living in a good neighborhood, and doing the recommended amount of physical exercise. So basically what this means is when they first looked at it, there was just a general trend of the more time you spend outside, the better well-being you had and the better self-reported health you had. However, the difference between spending zero minutes and 119 minutes was not significantly different. There was a big difference after they ran the stats a little bit more between 119 minutes and 120 minutes. So the researchers at first were really tempted to just say 120 minutes is the mark to get to. And what they mean by the same magnitude is that spending two hours a week outdoors was just as important as being in a high SES. So not being in poverty, living a well-off life financially, living in a good neighborhood, and doing the recommended amount of physical exercise. So spending time outdoors was just as important as exercise, having money, and living in a good neighborhood for well-being and for their self-reported physical health. That's very interesting that those things are just as important because those are like kind of baseline things for researchers now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. Where you live and your financial situation is a predictor of many, many things. So if you live in poverty, a lot of things in your life are probably not going to turn out as well as if you were financially well off and lived in a better neighborhood. That's just the trend that we see across the board nationally and across the world. Another thing that was mentioned is just kind of following this relationship with more time in nature and better well-being. After 120 minutes, the increase in health and well-being tapers off and maxes out at 200 minutes for health and 300 minutes for well-being. After that, health and well-being even drop off a bit. So at two hours per week outdoors, that's going to be your max well-being and health benefits. After that, it still increases, but the increase slows. So it's kind of like you start hitting the crest of the mountain, and then although you're still increasing, the increase is slowing down. And then once you hit 200 minutes for health and 300 minutes for your well-being, those benefits are actually going to disappear and it's going to start being less beneficial for you and even detrimental to your health and well-being if you spend that much time outdoors. Another thing to mention is that the greater than 120 minute threshold held whether you lived somewhere close to a green space or far from one. So if you lived in a suburb that had a park or if you lived in a concrete jungle with nothing but brick walls around you, spending time in nature was just as beneficial for you. However, there is a couple of key limitations here. One of them that's especially worth mentioning is this is correlational research, and thus the researchers couldn't make any definitive conclusions that 120 minutes spent in nature caused better health and well-being. So like we've mentioned before, correlation is different than causation. When two things are correlated, they're just associated. We can't say definitively which one causes which. It could be that spending time in nature causes your health and well-being to be better, but it could also be that people that are happier and have better health spend more time in nature because they have the means and the time and the health to do so. So these are just correlations. However, despite these limitations, the researchers concluded, and I agree, that this finding is interesting and is a good discussion point. And it's clear with this paper and with lots of other research that spending time in green spaces and in nature is associated with better health. So thinking back to McKay's introduction to this topic, people that were in hospitals healed faster just because there was a tree outside their window versus a brick wall. So Although we can't definitively say that 120 minutes in nature per week is the mark to get just based off of this one research paper, there is a huge mountain of research looking at the effects of spending time in nature that shows that there are physical benefits and mental benefits to spending time outside.
All right, so this next study is titled Tracking Restoration in Natural and Urban Field Settings. And the first author is Terry Hartig with uh, some other authors after that. This study starts with 112 normotensive students. That's what they call them from UCI. What does normotensive mean? Just normal. When it comes to the heart and blood pressure and stuff like that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So this design was crossed. It's a two by two design. And they have each of the participants are randomly assigned to a group. And the four different types of tasks that these subjects are doing, one is an environmental treatment condition. And the other one is a pre-treatment task condition. So those are the two conditions. And then under each condition, there's two different subcategories. Okay. The environmental treatment condition has a natural environment and an urban environment. So natural meaning they're outside walking or urban environment means they're inside looking at buildings or like the room has windows of buildings, kind of like the introduction study. And then the pre-treatment task condition is just if they have a task or not. So some people had tasks, other people didn't. So you could be randomly assigned to any of those two categories. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you could get a task and a natural environment, or you could get a task and an urban environment, or you could get a no task and natural or no task and urban. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the subjects in this study they had their ambulatory blood pressure measured. Ben, you know what ambulatory means. Yes, that means walking. So their blood pressure as they were walking. (laughs) Yes, and this is systolic and diastolic blood pressure, so both of them. And they also had their emotions measured before they were put into their tasks and environments. That means measures of positive affect, attentiveness, fear, arousal, sadness, anger, aggression. This is all just researcher way of measuring, oh, what is your mood and how are you feeling right now? And the last thing that was measured was the subject's attention. So they measured this through a thing called the Necker Cube Pattern Control Task. Researcher, fancy, it's just an attention task. After they took these measures, which took just a few minutes, the subjects would then start their task or their no task, which lasted 50 minutes. After these 50 minutes were up for the task or no task, then they were put into their, you know, urban or natural environment where they would walk or just view uh, these urban or natural environments. And that was also done for another about an hour. 50 minutes was the time. After they finished their walk in nature or their sitting time looking in an urban environment. They then retook those blood pressure tests as well as the attention and the emotion tests to measure those attention and emotion. As well as a couple minutes into the walk, like 10 minutes into the walk, they also did another blood pressure reading. So there are a few Hmm. blood pressure readings and then they measured the attention and emotion scales at the end. Okay. After all their subjects had completed the tasks and the walks and all of these measurements, the researchers found that the diastolic blood pressure, so that's your blood pressure when your heart is not pumping. So I think of diastolic as like when your heart's deflated. So D, diastolic, deflated. That's how I remember. So it's when your heart is not pumping. So it's the lower value of your blood pressure. And that value declined more rapidly in the subjects who viewed trees and other vegetation 
compared to those who did not view those things. Just by seeing nature, it can actually change how much pressure your heart is pumping at. They also found that the change in blood pressure during the walk in the natural environment diverged from the urban environment pretty far. So the natural environment blood pressure dropped quicker than the urban environment, but by the end of the walk, they were about the same. Okay. So initially, it was a lot larger gap, but by the end, the blood pressures for both walking conditions were about the same. Okay, so when they first got to the environment, their blood pressures were a lot different just by being in nature or being in the city. But as they kept walking, their blood pressure converged. There was no difference in the end. Exactly. Okay, that's an interesting finding. Yeah, very interesting. The environment that the subjects were in also had a significant effect on emotional change for these subjects. So the biggest difference was if you were put in a natural environment and you did not have to do a task, then your positive affect, meaning your positive emotions, increased significantly more than any other group. Okay, that's really interesting. The group that increased the second most amount was the natural group with a task, but it definitely did not increase as much as the natural group with no task. So being in nature with nothing to do had the biggest increase, and then the second biggest increase was being in nature with something to do. So either way, being in nature increased your positive emotions no matter what you were doing. Exactly, yeah. And then in the urban environments, they were about the same, and they actually decreased positive affect a little bit. Okay. Hmm. Another significant thing to know is that feelings of anger and aggressiveness declined in the nature setting, but not in the urban setting. Okay. So it kind of seems that being in nature almost had a healing quality to it. These subjects tended to feel happier as well as they tended to feel less angry and aggressive which is something that I want in my life. I don't know about you. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So kind of going back to the introduction, not only can being around nature have physically healing qualities, but being in nature can also have mentally and emotionally healing qualities where you spend time in nature and you have more positive emotions than when you're spending time in urban environments. Yeah, which is amazing because nature is free and i don't have to pay for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah unless you go to a national park (laughs) Uh, yeah you're right you're right you just got to get a pass (laughs) so how can we put this into practice this one doesn't seem too complex my main takeaway from this was get outside so the first research paper that we discussed cautioned against using the 120 minutes as a hard rule But the important takeaway is that in order to get the benefits of being outside, it has to be a significant part of your life. So wherever you live, whether it's in some sort of concrete jungle with parks that were made by the city, or in a more suburban rural area with natural areas nearby, spend time in nature. So you might be asking yourself, well, he just said, even if you go to a park, it helps. We didn't talk about that at all. So that was another interesting study that we found that living in greener urban areas is associated with lower probabilities of cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, asthma hospitalization, mental distress and ultimately mortality among adults and lower risk of obesity and myopia in children. So urban green space is different than natural environments, yes. However, 
these urban green spaces are still better for you than just walking along the street where there's just lots of concrete buildings and things like that. So if you do live in like the heart of New York City and you don't necessarily think there's a reasonable way for you to get to just the mountains of Colorado, you don't need to go far. You can still go to a green space or to a park. However, if you do live in a place where that natural untouched environment is available to you, then take advantage of that. Whatever it is, get outside. That is one of the best things that you can do for your life is spending a significant amount of time outside. Yeah, the thing that I learned today was the authors of Ben's paper caution against the 120 minute hard and fast rule. Like if you don't spend that much time outside, you're going to be unhappy. And that's not the case. But what helped me to know is like the people who spent more and more up to like 400 minutes outside a week, their happiness levels were about the same as the people who spent 120 minutes outside. Some of them even tapered off too. Some of them yeah. was too much. Yeah, that was helpful for me because I love being outdoors and understanding that, yeah, outside time is really good, but inside time is good as well. And having that good balance is what's going to help you have, you know, positive affect, happier moods, less anger. That balance can be different for every person because I know lots of people just don't like outside, but it's still good for you <laughs> even if you don't like it yeah. <laughs> necessarily. Another thing to keep in mind too, kind of along those lines is spending time in nature doesn't necessarily need to be physically strenuous. So of course there are fun outdoor things to do like hiking and mountain biking and skiing and whitewater rafting and every dangerous thing you could think of. But even sitting in a green space and reading a book can have benefits. One thing that the paper I discussed mentioned was something Japanese refer to as forest bathing. Basically, it's just sitting in a natural environment and not necessarily doing anything. There's promising research looking into the psychological and physical benefits of that. However, if you are a person who loves physical activity, there's also research that shows that physical activity in a natural setting can have more psychological benefits than in an urban setting. That's a little bit in contrast to what McKay's paper mentioned, that the people who were walking had similar blood pressure by the end. There's lots of papers that show that doing exercise in a natural setting is better for you in various physical and psychological ways than in an urban setting. But once again, whatever it is, it doesn't need to be running, it doesn't need to be hiking, you can just sit outside and read a book. You can sit in a hammock in a green area and just read. Or you can just take a stroll, take your pet with you, or take a loved one with you, or a friend. Whatever it is, the important thing is just to get outside. Yeah, so we hope all of you this week can make a little bit more effort to spending the right amount of time outside because it's definitely going to help your positive affect. You're going to be happier. You're going to feel less angry. And, you know, maybe there will be even some diastolic, systolic blood pressure drops and you'll have a healthier <laughs> heart. You have been listening to Noggin the Simple Psychology Podcast. Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We have shared with you only a few articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject. Though we wish we could go more in depth, we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic. We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading this research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.